here's what I know to be true when you talk about family and you talk about somebody who's raising kids and it's a secret that most people won't admit out loud, but, but here it is. If you talk to any parent, they will tell you they feel like a failure most of the time, right? If you talk to somebody who's raised kids and, and you know them through their adult kids and they have these great adult kids and you ask them, man, how did you do this? Most of the time, they will tell you they have no idea, right? And so today, here's what I want for us. Today, as we talk about family, I don't want us to just get three points on, on, on how, to, to, how to let Jesus be greater than your family, although you could get that from today's message. What I hope we walk away with is this simple truth that Jesus is greater than family. Because here's what I've seen, is that when Jesus is greater than our family, something wonderful happens in our family. When Jesus is greater than our family, he is the one who shows us what our family looks like, right? When Jesus is greater than our family, he is the one who comforts us when we feel like a failure. When Jesus is greater than our family, he is the one who will guide us step by step by step. You see, he is the one that when we walk with him and, and we seek his face, he is the one who gives hope to us. He is the one that gives hope to our family and our children. Well, we're gonna be in Hebrews chapter 11. We're gonna be in verses 17 through 22. If you need a Bible, there's some in front of you and it's on page 847 in that Bible. Or you can look on the Bible app. We're under events and under Fellowship Asheville and the scripture is there. Direct links to our website are there. And as you're turning there, let me tell you a little bit about where we are in the book of Hebrews. We're in this series called Greater Than where we're studying the entire book of Hebrews. And in this series Greater Than, we're seeing that Jesus is greater than many, many, things. Jesus is greater than, than our ups and our downs. He's greater than our fears and our doubts. He's greater than our failures, and he's greater than even our successes, right? And, and, and as we have gone through this book, uh, we have seen that this book is a sermon, not a letter that was written, but it was a sermon that was preached. And we don't know who preached it. We don't know um, um, uh, who wrote it down for us. But what we do know is who this sermon was preached to. And it was preached to a church uh, of people that had said yes to Jesus and they had grown up in a Jewish home. And so they understood a lot of things and took for granted a lot of things that we don't understand and we don't take for granted. And so part of my job as the preacher who preaches the book of Hebrews to you is to help connect those dots between what they understood because they grew up in Jewish homes and what we missed because we didn't. And I'll do a little bit about that today. But, but today we're going to see too how Jesus is greater than our family. Now, if you're here and you don't have a family, like as you think that I'm talking about, about that, that you're not a mom or a dad and have kids, don't fear because today's message is still for you. Because your family could just be different than the person next to you. Right? Because Jesus is greater than your family no matter who makes up your family. Because it could be you and a spouse that's a family. It could be you and a spouse and children. That's probably what most people assume. It could be just you and children. 
right? Maybe there's no spouse in the picture and that's your family. Or maybe there's no spouse in the picture and there's no children in the picture and so it's you, but you're never alone. It's you and who you call family, who you allow in that inner circle. Maybe it is brothers and sisters and and that's your family. Maybe it is friends, maybe it is roommates and that's your family. It could be you and this church. Oftentimes in the New Testament, when when the writers of the New Testament speak of the church, they use the language of family, of brothers and sisters. And so at the very least, we are a family. And so no matter who your family includes, today we will see that Jesus is greater than family. Let's look at verse 17. So chapter 11, verse 17, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And so here we see this preacher to the Hebrews bring up this section of scripture, which honestly, for a lot of us, and I would imagine, I think I can say this with a certain amount of certainty, if that doesn't sound very ambiguous. I think I can say this with a certain amount of certainty. What happens in this section of scripture that this preacher is referring to, none of us have ever been in this situation. Not in the same way that Abraham was. Because you see, Abraham, God asked Abraham to do something that seems ludicrous to us, and I think on a certain level, it seemed ludicrous to Abraham because God asked Abraham to offer up his son, Isaac. Now, here's the deal. Isaac was the son that God had promised Abraham. Isaac was the son that God had said, you will have this son, and through this son, you will have a nation. Your offspring will be as numerous as the stars in the sky, as the sand on the seashore. That son was the son that God asked Abraham to offer up. That child was his baby. You know what I'm talking about? No matter how old, when I go home for a family reunion, do you know what they call me? I'm not Fred. I'm still Fred Jr. Right? Abraham was his baby. And God asked him to offer up Abraham. Now, this word offering, I mean, God asked Abraham to offer up his son, Isaac. Now, this word offering means to bring, but it means more than just to bring because it has this this deeper meaning that we see here. You see, Abraham was asked by God to bring this child of promise to God, but it was more than just bring, it was to give completely to God. Now, some commentators will, will say that, that, that part of the reason of this is because this child was promised by God to Abraham, that Abraham had a twisted view of his son, that, that his identity, Abraham's identity was in this baby and not in his relationship with God. And that's why God asked him to do this, to kind of like a chiropractor adjust your spine. This was, this was Abraham's adjustment on his spirit to get it back in line. We don't know why God asked Abraham to do this. All we know is that God asked Abraham to do something that seemed ludicrous, and he did. And how did he do it? How did he offer up his son as a sacrifice? Look at verse 19. It says, he considered that God was able to able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. 
You see, Abraham didn't know what God was going to do, but he knew he must do something. Because God doesn't break his promises. God is a faithful God. And if God said this son was going to be the one who would raise up a nation, Abraham knew God would keep his promise somehow. And Abraham thought maybe he'll raise him from the dead. You see, Abraham knew that if he did what God asked him to do, that God would prove himself faithful and that God would lead him to the solution. And Abraham thought maybe he'd bring him back from the dead, but what he did see is he saw God lead in a way that he didn't expect. I'm going to have Genesis 22 up here on the screen. I'm going to read through it and, and you, so you can see the, the, the depth of what this offering meant to Abraham and you can see how God led. In Genesis 22, verses 9 through 13, it says this, And when they, that's, that's Abraham and Isaac, came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Let's stop right there for just a minute. See how that sounds ludicrous? That Abraham, stone by stone, built an altar to lay his son on. And when the rocks were the right height, he put wood on that son because he was going to light the wood as a burnt offering with his son on top of it. And then he raised a knife to slaughter his son is the words that are used. That's an offering. And this whole time, Abraham did it by faith, knowing that God was going to do something. God was going to lead. And let's keep reading. He says, but... The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. God was faithful. God is faithful. And he provided a way when Abraham didn't know that there was a way. Abraham knew that God was going to do something. He just didn't know what. And so he offered his son completely. And he allowed God to lead. A church this is one way when Jesus is greater than your family, we get to do this. Right? We get to offer up our family, and when we do, we get to see God lead our family. Right? When we offer up our family, we get to see God lead our family. When we bring our family, no matter, no matter how you define family, no matter who's included in your family, when we take that family and we bring them to the Lord, we ask him to do what only he can do. And, and how does this look when your children are an offering? It means you give them to the Lord's care. And here's the kicker. When you place your family on that altar, metaphorically, I know there are some, you know, not your kids, but the kids that come over and play, that this sounds like a good option, metaphorically. 
metaphorically though, let's just talk about your family, right? When you take your family and you put them on that altar of sacrifice metaphorically, here's the kicker. What you're doing is you're taking that family and placing them under God's care and control, not yours. A way to think of it is this. The opposite of offering is control. When we bring our family to the Lord and we ask God to do what only he can do, we're letting God lead our family, not us. See, instead of God leading, control says, I lead. Instead of God leading your family, control says, you lead your family. And can I let you in on something that, that I've said before and, I, and I'll say it over and over and over again and it's something that's been bouncing around in my head and, 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 and I wanna share it with you. You, you are my church family. Um, because you're my church family, I offer us to the Lord continually for his leadership and his guidance. But, but here's something that's kind of been bouncing around in my head. You know, if you saw the slide when I introduced myself, it, I have a title under my slide, and, and did you notice what my title is? Lead pastor, right? That, that's my title. In the, in the church world, that communicates something. It communicates that, that I'm the one that, that communicates and carries the vision and direction and even the teaching of the church. And, and this is what I do. Like, that's, that's my job description. But, but here's what I don't like about my title. I think it's confusing a little bit. Because I'm not the lead pastor of this church. Like I said, you're my church family and I need an umbrella of grace as I talk about this, right? I'm not the lead pastor and I offer y'all to the Lord consistently. And I don't mean this to be cliche or trite. I'm saying this because it's true. I'm not the lead pastor of this church. Jesus is. He is the lead pastor of this church. He is the one that gives us the vision. He is the one that gives us the direction. He is the one that even, like when I'm praying about what to teach y'all, when I'm praying about what series, what book of the Bible to do, I'm not just to opening up the table of contents in the Bible and running my finger down. I'm asking Jesus, what do your hearts need? What does my heart need as I teach? You see, Jesus is the one who leads this church in vision. He is the one who leads this church in direction. He is the one who leads this church in the teaching. I just get to communicate to you what he says. The elders get to communicate to you what he says. You see, he is the, the lead pastor of this church. As a matter of fact, it's been in my crawl so much lately, I'm considering changing my title again. This is the part, by the way, that leadership gurus and books say not to do what I'm about to do. So I'm gonna do it anyway. But, but this hasn't been vetted. I haven't even talked to Nick about this. I haven't talked to the elders about this. Um, so this may be the only time that you hear this. It may be a really bad idea, but this has been in my crawl so much lately, I've considered changing my title back to shepherding pastor because I wanna communicate the role of lead pastor is already taken. We don't have a lead pastor 
with a title because we have a lead pastor in Jesus. And I love that metaphor of a shepherd, that a shepherd leads, a shepherd guides, a shepherd protects. Here's the one I can't get my hands around. A shepherd breaks the legs of the sheep sometimes, and then he carries them on his shoulders. Like that's what a pastor does to me. That's what it looks like here is Jesus being greater than this family called church. And what does it look like for you? What does it look like when you offer your family to God, to God and allow him to be the leader of your family as well? Now, I can say this as we offer up that control as well. You know, that, that, that idea that, that we're not only offer up, offering up our family, we're offering up the, the, the desire to control our family. That you may have great plans for your family and your children, but when you offer them to the Lord, he may give you a different plan. And what does it look like here at Fellowship? And I can say this because y'all get this and I can encourage this. What it looks like here in one way is that some of you homeschool your kids. Why? Because they are an offering to the Lord and Jesus has led you to do it. Some of you put your kids in private school. Why? Because they are an offering to the Lord and Jesus has led you to do it. Some of you put your kids in public school. Why? Because they are an offering to the Lord and Jesus has led you to do it. And one of the things I love about what God is working through this church is that those are okay. Because our kids are an offering to the Lord and Jesus has led us to those different results. For those of you who don't have kids, your spouse is an offering to the Lord and you see flaws in them that nobody else does. And your desire is to control them, to manipulate them, to minimize those flaws. But when your spouse is an offering to the Lord, you can let Jesus change their flaws. You can let Jesus fix them because you don't have to. Now, you can speak to them about their flaws with grace and forgiveness and compassion, but you are free from having to control them. And if you aren't married, you've got brothers and sisters and roommates and friends, and when you offer them to the Lord, the Lord may ask you to do crazy things like to serve them instead of demand from them, to be with them. You see, when your family is an offering, you allow Jesus to lead and you relinquish your control. That's what it looks like when Jesus is greater than family. They are an offering. Look at verse 20. It says, By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of, his, each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his, over the head of his staff. And so we move from offering to blessing. Abraham offered, and now you see Isaac, which was Abraham's son, bless uh, Jacob and Esau. And you see um, uh, Jacob's son, Joseph, bless his grandchildren, bless, bless Joseph's children. And so we move from offering to blessing. And this idea of blessing in the Bible means that you take what you have and you give it to the person that you're blessing. It's an idea of spiritually blessing them. In some cases, it's an idea of physically blessing them. Like the, the blessing of the first blessing in the Old Testament, a lot of times not only transferred uh, what they knew about God, but it also transferred authority and land and the whole deal. Like they were gonna be the next patriarch of the family. 
But the idea that we have seen over and over and over again, particularly when we were in the book of Genesis, is that this idea that we are blessed to be a blessing. And that what we are blessed with, we are designed to, it's designed to be a blessing to others. What we are given, we are designed to give that away. And here we see Isaac, Abraham's son, take his two sons, Jacob and Esau, and bless them. And Jacob bless his grandchildren. And, and, and what are they, what is that blessing? You see, what they're doing is they're taking all that they know and have experienced with God, and they're giving that to their kids. And you can see it in Jacob's blessing in verse 21. It's the word worship, right? So it's not just about land and authority. There's something else there that's bigger and better, and it's worship. Jacob is taking what he has learned about God and knows about God and passing it to his grandchildren. Now, how does it look when Jesus is greater than family, and how do you bless your family? You see, here's what's good, and here's what's scary. When we bless our family, we give our God to them. Right? We give the way we see, the way we interact, the experiences we've had with God to them. Now, that can be good and bad, can it? Because our kids see our relationship with God, don't they? They see the good and the bad. But let me tell you a particular way that this looks when Jesus is greater than family. And it looks like this. When we bless our family, we have a unique opportunity to show them God's grace. We have a unique opportunity to show them the gospel that we have believed and how that works out in every area of of our lives. Now, y'all... I'm going to go back to the 80s here and show you an acronym for grace that some of you are going to be like, oh, yeah, I've seen that. I saw that in the 90s. It's this, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's, how many of you have seen that before? Yes. That's what grace is. It's all the riches of God. And, and it's not just this monetary wealth. Like that's not even what this is referring to. It is all the riches of who God is, his character, his faithfulness, his goodness, his kindness, the fact that he is a good father. It's all of that that is given to us at the expense of one man, and that is Jesus Christ. That his death, burial, and resurrection allowed the way for us to experience all of God's riches through a relationship with God. That's the blessing that we can pass on to our kids, to our family, to our roommates, to our friends, to this church. That's the blessing that we pass on. That's our gospel. That Jesus died for us so we can enjoy the riches of God in a relationship with him. And this gospel is what we've been blessed with and what we pass on to our family, no matter who's included in our family. And I want to show you something. Now, this is, this is that area where if you were listening to this preacher preach this message of the Hebrews, you would get this. We just kind of pass over it because we didn't grow up in Jewish homes. But there's a certain truth about this kind of grace and this kind of blessing, which is implied here. And it's this, that grace allows forgiveness. And, and here's why this is here. The preacher here says that, that, that Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. 
Right, that's all that he says. Now y'all, he could have said a whole lot more. That story of Jacob and Esau is one of the most twisted stories in scripture. Right, those two brothers were always in contention with each other. Literally from the moment they were born, they fought for who was gonna be first born. They were always in contention with each other about this birthright blessing. They only saw it as land and authority. So much so that one time Esau shows up and he's the big hairy one when that becomes important here at the end of the story. Because if you're reading the story of Genesis, you wonder why do we need to know he's hairy? It's there for a reason. He came back, he's hungry, and, and, and Jacob had made this food. And Esau wanted some of it. And Jacob said, well, I give you some food for the blessing, for the first blessing. Esau said, fine, I'm starving. So Jacob took the first blessing. Fast forward a little bit. Isaac's dying, and and in his old age, he lost his sight, and he couldn't see. And so he tells his son Esau that he's dying and he wants to bless him. But before he blesses him, he wants to have a meal with him. Jacob and his mother overhear this. See, Isaac doesn't know about this little exchange that went down between Jacob and Esau. He wants to bless the firstborn. Jacob heard that. And he sneaks in. Now, here's what he does. This is why we need to know that Esau was hairy because Jacob wants to fool his dad and receive this blessing in a very twisted way. And so Jacob takes and puts goatskin on his arms, which makes you wonder how hairy was Esau. And he puts goatskin on his arms <coughs> and, and he, he makes a meal and takes it into his dad and he pretends that he's Esau. And so, so Isaac blesses Jacob thinking that it's Esau. And so he gets this blessing in an incredibly twisted way. But here in Hebrews, the pastor doesn't say any of that. But every person who grew up in a Jewish home knows that's the story that took place. And this preacher says, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Why? Does he do it this way? Because this is what grace does. Right? This is what forgiveness does. Forgiveness and grace doesn't tell the twisted story. Right? That's what grace doesn't tell is the twisted story because they could. Grace says Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Forgiveness says Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. And Paul speaks to this when he teaches on love. And he says that, that love keeps no record of wrong because love could tell the twisted story, but love keeps no record of wrong. Jesus speaks to this when his disciples come to him and they ask this question, which is a pretty common question. How many times do I have to forgive this person for doing the same thing over and over and over again? And then disciples look at Jesus and they say, seven times? That's plenty, right? Because the law says three, we added four, which is more than twice of what the law says. So this is good enough, right? And Jesus looks at him and goes, no, if somebody sins against you the same way over and over and over again, You don't forgive them seven times. You forgive them 70 times seven times. In other words, 
The law says this much. Grace says this much. You see, we can only give that kind of grace when we understand that kind of grace was given to us. That's what the gospel does. You see, the fact that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead to prove that everything he said was true and right and that he really was the Son of God. You see, God doesn't hold our sins against us anymore because Jesus took it, and when he takes it, it's gone. See, when Jesus is greater than our family, we can forgive that way too. Now let me ask you, is there someone in your family, no matter who your family is, who needs that kind of grace given to them? Who needs that kind of blessing? Is there someone that you have kept reminding them of their wrongs, forgetting your wrongs have been forgiven? Maybe today is the day that you can bless them instead with the blessing that you've been given in Jesus, this forgiveness that you've been giving. You can grant it to others in blessing. Y'all, I have one more point to my message, but today we're doing communion. And and I called Cam and I was like, man, I got this part kind of towards the end of my message instead of at the end of my message, that communion would be great here. Because communion is this picture. For those of you who have said yes to Jesus, this table is for you. And it's for you as a reminder. That's what the New Testament says, that we are to do this as a reminder. Why? Because we need to be reminded what Jesus has done with our sins, that his body was broken and that his blood was shed for our sins. And why do we need that reminder? Because we keep forgetting it, right? We keep holding grudges when Jesus hasn't. We keep holding on to someone else's wrongs and forgetting the wrongs that we have been forgiven for. We need this reminder because this reminder is what allows Jesus to be greater than our family. For our last point in the message, look at verse 22. It's a short one, but it's a fun one. It involves Joseph. It says, by faith, Joseph at the end of his life made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. So Joseph's story, when we went through Genesis, you know, we, we heard Joseph's story that, that his brothers didn't like him. You know, he had this coat of many colors. He was kind of the favorite of his dad that didn't go over with the brothers so well. So they threw him into a pit and sold him as a slave. And while he was a slave, he rose uh, to be a, a lead slave, a lead position. Uh, but that didn't work out, and he was thrown into prison. In prison, he even grew to a leadership role in prison. And, and when he was released from prison, he grew to be the second command in Egypt. And it was because of Joseph, because God used Joseph in a way, not only did he save Egypt, he saved that entire region of the world from famine. And he reconciled with his brothers and he reconciled with his family because he understood that God had a plan even when it looked like he didn't. And he trusted in God's plan so much so that when he died in Egypt, as he, as he said his last dying breath, he said, take my bones, not here in Egypt, but whenever God releases us from the land of Egypt, take my bones 
to the land that he promised in Israel. And even in his dying breath, he trusted in God's faithfulness. So in Joseph, we see that this, of him dying in Egypt, looking to a day where God's promises would be fulfilled for the nation of Israel. See, in Joseph, we see what it is to trust in a faithful God and to have hope. And hope, remember, doesn't mean wish. Hope is an anchor in our soul. And his hope was in God's faithfulness and God's faithfulness alone. In church, our hope is in the same place. That one day, everything will be made right. Every injustice will face justice. Every hurt will be comforted. Every tear will be wiped away. Every wound will be healed. That is our hope. And like Joseph, we look to that day. And when we hope, that kind of hope with our family, we show them a faithful God. See, when we hope with our family, we show them God's faithfulness. And so for us today, this is our hope. This gospel is our hope. And it's never too late to start. And when this is our hope, Jesus is greater than our families. Let's pray. Father, you are our hope. And because of that, we can bless those around us. Because of that, we can, we can offer them to you instead of trying to control them because you are our hope. And may our hope be there and there alone. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Will you please stand with us? We'll be singing our last song.